Last week we began a series of messages on the person of the Holy Spirit and I've entitled this series, The Wind Blows or Let the Wind Blow. And I want to continue that and invite you to turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 as a matter of fact. Acts chapter 1 as the uh, apostle or the, 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 the gospel writer Luke uh, uh, takes us into his second edition, his second book, and I'll invite you to stand with me, all of you, as we read this. We're going to begin with verse 1 and down through verse 9. Acts chapter 1, beginning here with verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. Well, as I mentioned, we're in the second week of the study of thinking about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I want to zero in on this morning this fact that Jesus conducted his ministry in tandem with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This means that some of you are going to chafe a little when I say this, but in fact, Jesus and the apostles were charismatics. In fact, I believe the Bible teaches clearly that to be a genuine follower of Jesus is to be, in fact, a charismatic, at least in some sense. To not be would be a contradiction. And some of you this morning are like, charismatic what? What is all that about? But, but, but because the word charismatic is from the, the Greek word charismata, which simply means gifts of grace. And so, in fact, charismatic, in the truest sense, is one who operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches that every child of God in his kingdom, in his church, has been given, in fact, a spiritual gift. Now, it's true that most of often when we think of charismatics, what do we think of? Well, we think of highly emotional worship. We think of people getting up and dancing in the aisles, maybe running around the aisles or raising their hands and speaking in tongues. You might even think of handling snakes. You ever heard of that or seen that? Just for the record, we don't do that here. 
if you brought a snake with you, keep it in your bag. That's just the word of warning. But, but that's the kind of picture that sometimes we get of a charismatic, especially when we use that word. But the reality is that's unfortunate because a Christian is supposed to move and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. We may have some disagreements about what being charismatic will exactly look like, but whether or not we're supposed to be charismatic is really not a question. So please understand me when I say we are a charismatic church. We are going to be a charismatic congregation. I'm not expecting you to get a Benny Hinn coat or a funny haircut or, 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 or learn Japanese names so you can speak uh, you know, in tongues, you know, Nagasaki, Fukushima, or whatever that kind of thing is. That's, that's really not the goal. But I would love for us to discover as God's people that through the grace of God, there is power available to every one of us. Jesus said this, but very truly I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away because unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you now, I want you to think about what that must have meant for the disciples. Having Jesus with you, beside you, that must have been awesome. That must have been so much greatness and, and, and beauty and, and wonder. I mean, think about it. You're at a party and you run out of Cheetos. You know, Jesus can fix that in an instant and multiply them. And you've got baskets left over. Jesus is there and he could... He could heal the headache that you have on the spot. Your dog gets run over. He could, he could resurrect your dog back to life. If your cat gets run over, he could help you bury the thing. <laughs> but, but Jesus says this. He says, listen, folks, you are better off you are better off with the Holy Spirit than you are with me even beside you. You are better off with the Holy Spirit in you than you are with me right beside you. Now think about what that means. Luke wrote both of these, both the gospel and the book which we have just read, the begun, the book of Acts. And one of the main themes of Luke's contribution to the New Testament is to show us just how Jesus' source of power was in fact the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is so very important. A lot of us think, well, Jesus came to earth and since he was God, he obviously had the power of God. That's what we think. Well, in fact, Jesus, who was God, became a man, and he lived a life that operated just like our lives are to operate. He operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us again and again that the miracles Jesus did, healing, seeing into people's hearts, preaching and praying with power, resisting sin, he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter two as a matter of fact, talks about how Jesus emptied himself. We call that the, pass, the kenosis passage. So when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of his access to his godness. He, he didn't cease to be God. He limited himself to his access of, of, of God's power. Of, of God power within him. His intent for coming was to be like you and me with all the attendant weaknesses and trials and limitations that you and I face as human beings every day. Jesus had all of those limitations. So in other words, he wasn't sitting around in middle school every time the teacher would question and say, hey, do you know this? Well, Jesus could say, I know the answer because I'm omniscient. I know everything. That's not what Jesus did. He wasn't in the crib thinking great thoughts about quarks and particle waves and physics. He was in the crib thinking baby thoughts and sinless middle schooler thoughts in middle school. That's almost, uh, you didn't think that was possible, but it was. You see, Jesus limited his access to his godness because he became fully like you and me. Are you with me? So Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Well, how is it that God grows in wisdom? Well, he grew because he was like you and me. He grew in his understanding. He grew in discovery. He had to learn as you and I had to learn. Jesus says in Matthew 24, I don't even know the hour or the day of my return. Only the Father knows that. Well, how is it that God cannot know something? Well, he has limited himself by becoming a man. So the question is, if he lays down his godness by becoming a human being, how is it that Jesus was able to do so many great things like God does? How does he overcome sin? How does he resist the devil? How does he do miracles? How does he see into the hearts of people? And Luke gives us the answer. Jesus does those things in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 5.17, Jesus heals a paralytic. But Luke begins this way. He says, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. We think, of course, well, Jesus was there. Of course there was power. But in that, Luke is indicating something when he says that word power. Jesus' power to heal was coming from the person of power, the Holy Spirit. So there were times when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus to heal. Luke 4.31 begins, talks about Jesus casting out demons with authority and power. Again, that is Luke's way of describing the ministry of the Spirit. Before Jesus preaches his first sermon in Luke 4.14, it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And when Jesus did preach that first sermon, the Spirit helped him. 
By the way, we see that pattern in the early church. Peter preaches at Pentecost after the Spirit comes, and he declares in his message, as he quotes the prophet Joel, I will pour out my Spirit, and my sons and daughters will prophesy. Acts 4.31 says that when the early Christians were filled with the Spirit, they went out boldly preaching the Word. Acts 7 says that Stephen was filled with the Spirit when he preached right before he was stoned as Saul, who would later become Paul the Apostle, watched. In fact, Jesus told the apostles to depend on the Spirit when they preached. I think of Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Jesus' own ministry of compassion, his concern for justice and those who were oppressed, that came as a result of the Spirit. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus starts his first sermon like this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Peter says in Acts 10, 38, speaking of Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing. My point is, I think I've made it. Jesus did his ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit. The apostles did the same thing. I'll just give you one example. Paul meets a servant girl who has a demon, and that man, the man who owns her is kind of renting her out for entertainment. She is a spiritual and economic captive. And yet the Bible describes that Paul, through the power of the Spirit, delivers her. My point is this. You see what Jesus had? Paul had and what we can have too. The power and authority that was his through the Spirit can be ours through the same Spirit. Now that's amazing. One more area I do want to point out before I move on. With Jesus, in Luke 10, 21, it says this. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 says that when the Spirit of God came upon the first church on that great day of Pentecost, a great sense of awe came upon every soul and a sense of gladness filled their hearts. Let me tell you this. The sign of a Spirit-filled believer, the sign of a Spirit-filled church, in fact, is joy. I'm not saying the Spirit gives everyone a, a goofy grin and a perky personality, but I am saying that when you walk in the Spirit, there will be a settled joy that fills you. I love the fact, you know, I love old songs. I grew up in the church. I, I miss singing certain things. I, we used to sing, do you remember it? In fact, help me if you do. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. 
down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And I'm so happy, very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. How many of you remember that? A few of, okay, you didn't sing like it, but uh, uh, you did pretty good. Um, yeah, there, that ought to be. Now listen, there are those moments in the church when obviously we need to have times of reflection, some solemn moments when of mourning and repentance. But the truth is the dominant tone of the church ought to be joy. There ought to be laughter in this room. There ought to be smiles. We see it again and again. Psalm 100 says, Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. I'll tell you, when, when you're praising and you're giving thanks, you're not complaining. You can't do both at the same time. Psalm 35, 27 says, May those who delight in salvation shout for joy. It ought to be something we do. Ephesians 5, Be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. A singing heart is a happy heart. Psalm 167, 11, In his presence is fullness of joy. If God is here, if God is here, then there ought to be a sense of joy that comes with So this is important. What we learn in both Luke and Acts is if we are to receive then the fullness of the Spirit, if we are to have what Jesus had, what the apostles had, what's the secret? We must ask for him. We must ask for that fullness. Luke chapter 3, at the beginning of his ministry, it says of Jesus that the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove as he stood praying. I think that's significant. What was he praying for? Same thing happens at the beginning of Acts. Jesus ascends to heaven here, but Acts 1.14 says that the disciples went back to the upper room and they devoted themselves to prayer. This went on for 10 days, and the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached then, and 3,000 people got saved. So think about that. The early church prayed for 10 days. Peter preached for 10 minutes, and 3,000 people get saved. Today, what do we do? We're lucky if we pray for 30 seconds. The preacher goes on and on for 30 minutes at least, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we saw three people get saved? This is what Jesus says, Luke 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those that ask him 
God wants us to ask for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to ask for his power and authority. And that leads me to this truth. You have as much of the Holy Spirit as you want to have this morning. Now think about that. So this is my point, and it's a pretty simple one. Jesus depended on the power of the Spirit. If he did, how much more should we? Friends, church, this is my message this morning. Jesus depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. If he did, how much more should we? And so who do you depend on to overcome sin? Who do you depend on to be a mother or a grandmother, a father? Who do you go to when you're in need and you're hurting? Where do you go when you truly want to love your neighbor? Sometimes I ask myself, where is the power? I want to make two observations and then we're going to be done this morning. The first one is this. I think most of us, if we were honest this morning, depend on the wrong source of power. I think when it comes to our lives, our ministries, our family, our work, our lives overall, that's where we are. We've learned to depend on something, but it's the wrong source. I think we are really good at learning to depend on ourselves. My education, my intellect, my personality, my money, my good looks, whatever it might be, with just enough Jesus to make me look respectable. But the reality is we're following after other idols, looking for something. I think a lot of times we're like the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. You remember that story as they, they, they came and they were begging their God Baal to send fire on the altar. You remember there was this amazing showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah the prophet and they want their God to send fire on this altar so they sing and they dance for hours and they chant and hours and hours go by, and then they even begin to cut themselves in their own despair. But it's to no avail. It's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. And finally, they just fall in exhaustion. Is that anyone here today? You're just tired? Elijah, however, is no sweat. He's not worried. He offers a one-line prayer, and then what? Fire falls, and it consumes that altar. And my favorite part of the story is when it's all over and God sends the fire, the people 
fall on their faces and they say this they say the Lord he is God the Lord he is God notice that they weren't talking about Elijah and how great a prayer he was or how great a preacher he was all they see is God reminds me when Jesus said let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven that's the kind of ministry we should all want that's the kind of ministry I want not where we get the spotlight but people forget us and they concentrate on boy is God good boy is Jesus wonderful boy is it great to know I have a heavenly father who cares about me that ought to be the result of our lives because remember what the Holy Spirit does he always points to Jesus Paul says in Ephesians 1:17 that God gives the spirit of wisdom and revelation Isaiah 11:2 says that God gives the spirit of understanding and wisdom and counsel and might the truth is this morning you can have the spirit as a mother as a worker, as an employer, as a teacher, as a student, as a pastor. He's available. He's ready. You just have to ask. If you ask for the bread of the Spirit, God will not give you a stone. But let me say one more thing. Some of us don't encounter the power of the Spirit because we're not engaged in the mission of the Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit, and sometimes he is characterized this way by far too many in the church as, as, as some luck charm, a tag that, that we wear to, 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 to give us favor. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus said you will receive power, yes, but power for what? Power to be my witnesses, to go and preach in Samaria and Judea and Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's not power to be wonderful and rich and popular. If Jesus had come to this earth as a basketball player and, and just decimated and dominated the courts and, and I claimed before you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what would you expect me to be able to do? You'd expect me to be a superstar, basketball player. I'm not, by the way. But did Jesus come as a basketball player? No. No. He came as the Son of God, one who showed us that showed us what God was like, showed concern for others. In fact, so much so, he poured his life out for others. So friends, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, what should you expect from me? It's reasonable to assume, isn't it, that you would expect me to be someone who knows God and loves God and follows God and demonstrates the love of God to those around me. 
that I would know him and his love and be willing to, to be spent so that others would know him too. Romans 5, 5 says this, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I'm going to love like Jesus. That's going to be the defining characteristic of someone who has been filled with God's Spirit. I'll tell you what I don't see, therefore, in Scripture. I don't see him keeping the church from difficulty. I hear people talking about God and how favorable they are. You know, God gave me a parking space right there in the mall. I, I, I always question that. Please. In Acts, God parked Paul in prison. And he parked Stephen in front of a bunch of stone throwers. I, I hear people say, well, God will make me wealthy. I think the Spirit of God can do that. But Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians that the Spirit increases our ability to make money so that we can increase our capacity for giving. That's what the Spirit does. So here is my question, and it really is an honest one. It really is important. Do you even want his power? A lot of people are like, yes, absolutely. I would love to have Jesus' power. No, you don't. Because if you have his power, are you willing to serve the church better than you've been doing? Are, are you willing to serve his kingdom and risk your reputation and your finances and your family for his ministry and mission? I'm going to tell you to be full of the Spirit. It's going to cost you something. In fact, it costs you everything. Because if you're thinking you want his power to serve yourself better, you're going to be frustrated. James 4 reminds us, you have not because you ask not, but you ask and do not receive because you ask from selfish motives. See, if we really want the Spirit, we've got to recognize what it's going to cost us. We lay our lives down. We say, Lord, use me. I'm yours for whatever. There is never a disconnect between the, the mission of God and the power of God. There is only a disconnect between the people of God and the mission of God. Sometimes we're just not willing to go there so Lord before you give us your spirit may we first truly want your spirit because we care about others more than ourselves we've fallen in love with you we've fallen in love with your people we want to make a difference and so Lord we just say have all of me And some of us may not be willing to pray that kind of prayer. And so I ask you, do you want that power? Just a moment, we're going we're gonna to wrap up, we're going to sing. And normally, and I, I do, this altar is open and I would invite you to come. And if you want to come, please do. 
this is a good place to come and seek him and I believe it's a good place to come and find him but I'm asking you to, to, to do more than just pray this morning I'm asking you to seek him and maybe the best thing you can do today is not only come forward or right there in your seat encounter the living God but maybe today you just get away with him and say Lord I want to be yours I want all the fullness that you have for me I am willing to give up my life so that you can live your life through me and my life would be a testimony of your grace, your glory, and your love. Lord, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Are you willing to pray that kind of prayer and mean it? The world will change. The church will change. Our community will change. I will change. May it, may it be done according to his word. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that in your word it is so very clear that you are eager and ready to pour out your spirit on your people. That was the gift of Pentecost. It is the, the treasure of the church today, the power and authority and gift of the Holy Spirit. And yet, Lord, so many of us are unwilling to really go there Lord, in fact, it's a daily routine, one that I don't always accept. But Lord, I pray that this moment, today, I would be filled up with the fullness of your spirit and you would come upon me and our church and you would give us power and authority to proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive that when we believe and trust in you you do not hold our sins against us but you give us the gift of eternal life and this is such good news that we dare not keep it to ourselves and so Lord I pray that you will raise up people who are passionate for your kingdom who are willing to step out and serve because of the Spirit, not because of guilt. Who are willing, Lord, to give extraordinarily, not because we said so, but because your Spirit led them to give and be generous. And Lord, we would use our gifts, the gifts you've given us to, to teach and to mentor, to encourage and discern, to to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord right here, this year, 2023. That we would be people who are willing to be filled up with your spirit because we've emptied ourselves. That we would not be so, so engrossed in our own selfishness, but that in fact, Lord, we would be completely yours. Would you do it again in this church? In my heart, I pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.